0: Good morning, today's daf is daf Khof Aleph, the last, uh, second last daf of the Mosekhtah. Um, today's shir is Lil Nishmas with the Edzeev Avram Halevi, and uh, last night was 14. Sayyom um, Arba Yisrim Yom, Shem Shnei Shavos Omer So the, yeah, so we, ca- the mission was discussing um, different iconos they had regarding, um, what to do with certain temple property in specific scenarios. And the one that we were discussing is... Um, so the one that Gemara is going to go into... I'm, so I'm going to start just from the... right at the bottom of... Chaf Amud Bey's 20B. So there there was... The al is that the coin Gadol... had an obligation to provide and bring a Mincha... a daily Mincha offering of one Soran... and he'd bring half in the morning and half in the afternoon. So al Mishnah says, if he dies... Before the next coin gadol is appointed, Rabbi Shimon holds it's a tenai based in that it must be provided for by the communal funds. I, again, generally it's on the coin gadol. The coin gadol died, so there's no coin gadol. so who brings it? So that's what um, Rabbi Shimon says, that it is a tenai based in that it's brought from communal funds. So, Rabbi Bob bar boy Rabbi Bob Bar-Mommel asked, Mikhlefa Shutasa de Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon seems to have switched opinions. Tamon over there in our Mishnah Omar Mishal Yorshin. It implies that it must be the heirs of the Koen Godel who provide for it. Why? Because by the fact that the Rabbi Shimon teaches, it's a Tnai based in, it's a rule of based in, that it must be provided for by the community, by the communal money, Implies that the brisa it should be provided for by the heirs of the kohen. But in the brisa just quoted a few lines before. Omar Michel Tzibur. Rabbi Shimon says that it should be brought from the, sh- the Tzibur. If you just look back a few lines, it says, um, where was it? Rabbi Shimon. Omer Ba Elo Michel Tzibur. Shelo. It's an eternal, he learns from the posse that it must be brought from the community. So again, in the Mishnah, Rebbe Shimon seems to say, Da'araiset on the heirs. And in this price, we just quoted, Rebbe Shimon seems to say, Da'araiset a communal obligation. So really, what does Rebbe Shimon hold? So, Amri Bar Wow, this is a good question. This Asa Bar Achar. Rabbi Avur, B'Shem, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Achabari Yaakov came, and I think it means he said it in the name of Rabbi Avur, in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. Dvar Torah, Hu, According to Torah law, this offering should be bought from the community. Um, I, when the Kohen godol dies, who has to bring the communal offering? Who has to bring that mincha? Where do the funds come from? The Torah law is it comes from the community. Then they saw that the lishka, the treasury, was under a lot of financial pressure they said that it must be collected from the heirs. There's one, two ways of looking at this. Either there weren't that many Jews donating Shekolim, or the Jewish nation was impoverished. So therefore, it ended up, they, the, the communal funds actually did not have enough money to provide for this mincha, and that's why they instituted that it must come from the Kohen Godot's heirs. Another way I heard, of, uh, I heard that this could be, is we find in the second temple, which stood, I don't remember the exact number, but it stood for about 420 years, the second temple, and there were over 300 Kahanim gadolim, which means every approximately every year and a half, every year there was a new Kohen Godal, a new Kohen Godal, a new Kohen Godal. So, by time each Kohen Godal died, and then it would, let's say, take a few days or to replace him, and then the community would have to support this uh, Milcha that the Kohen Godal usually brought, it got really expensive, so they instituted that. But I, I don't know if that's the real reason behind why it's expensive. I thought it was more just the number of Jews or the... Financial status of the Jews, okay, but either way um, they instituted that it must come from the given the and when they saw after a while that things returned to normal and that they had enough money, they reinstituted i they set they undid the takana and set it back on the Dorissa law that it must come from the Trumasalishka from the communal funds, okay, so that um that's that's how it happens. Okay, Rabbi Shirat, in, in the Mishnah, Rabbi Shimon implies that it's a communal, it must come from the communal funds. And in the Bryce, sorry, that the must come from the heirs. And Darabonon, he implies that, and then in the Brayse, he implies that it must come from the communal funds. He's actually kind of both speaking about the Takona based on what it originally, originally was. Okay, it was originally... And this is according to Torah law, meant to be brought from communal funds. They realized there was an issue, so they said to bring it from... Um, there wasn't enough money to bring it from communal funds, so that they said the heirs of the Kohen God must provide for it. And then, when things changed, then they reverted back to what they initially said. Um, now, as I pointed out, the coin Kono, when he would bring it, would bring half in the morning. It would be one Isaron, one offering... Three log of Shemim, a Kamitsa, and he'd bring, of Lavoina, and he'd bring half in the morning and half in the afternoon. The Mishnah said that when it's brought in the, when it's brought by the community, as he just learned, when the Kohen Godel dies, then the community has to bring it. It's brought from communal funds. It says it must be brought shlema whole. Now there's two ways of understanding that line in the Mishnah. Does Shleimah mean you bring the whole offering in the morning and nothing in the afternoon? Or does shleima mean as opposed to bringing half in the morning and half in the afternoon? You bring a full amount in the morning and a full amount in the afternoon. So is it double or just all brought in the morning? So that's what the Qumran asked. Rabbi Rabbi Yochanan asked, Do you bring a whole portion in the morning or a whole mincha in the morning and a whole mincha in the afternoon? Or does it mean you just bring a whole one in the morning and you don't bring anything in the afternoon? So he He thought about it and he gave the answer. He said, The says, that must be a consistent mincha. What does tamid mean? Every morning and every afternoon. That's we know about the korban tamid. Every morning. So he says, It must mean that you have to bring a whole in the a whole one a whole portion in the morning and isaron of flour and a whole isaron in the afternoon as opposed to again like the coin goddown when he would do it, it would be half half. Now the morals, oh what about the What about the oil that accompanied this mincha? Would he bring again, when the coin Godel brought it he brought three lugin and it was split half to the morning and half in the afternoon. So do we say But now that they've doubled the flower, maybe you should also bring three look in the morning, a whole three look in the morning and a whole three look in the afternoon. Or perhaps that's only specific by the flower where we have the drosha. Where there's no drosha, you can bring a log and a half in the morning and a log and a half uh, the, they would bring a log in, and a half in the morning and a log the, and a half in the afternoon like the Kohen Godot. So, there's actually another question we also have to ask. I'm going to change the gears a little bit but it says, And we can ask the same question about the commits of Lavoina. Do we say, He brings one full Khmitzah of Lavoina. Remember, commits is that amount, the amount you can hold between your middle three fingers. In your middle of your fingers, or um, bain Same question. Generally, when the kohen Godel would do it, he'd bring a commits of levona, and it would be split half in the morning and half in the afternoon. But we're doubling the karba mincha, so maybe we we bring a whole measure in the morning. So maybe the, the, when they're doing it, when there's no, when the, after the kohen died, you should do a full commits in the morning and a full commits in the afternoon. Or you can say no. The, this that we bring a whole one is specifically regarding the flour. But regarding the frankincense and I guess the same case with the oil, you can bring half-half. So Amr Rabbi Yossi Kulam Namadnula Koymech Loi Miminchas Choyteh says, did we not learn about the Koymech on the Minchas Choyteh? Ma'ala Halan Shnei Afkan Shnei Koymechim How I understood this is just as over there, if you're bringing a double Minchas Choyteh, you would bring two committers as opposed to the regular one. So so to here, ma taman And actually, just as over there, it's a question whether you do bring a full commit or not. Then so to here, it's a question whether you would bring a full committor so with the morning one and a full one in the afternoon, or take one and split it half half. Um, so that's the so that's um, it seems. You, however, you would resolve the question elsewhere where it discusses. The Lavona Ba Minchascho that you want to double, so too you would ask that you would resolve that here. Omar Abhizge Rab Khizge says either way to answer is it's Kulamanu Schloss Lugin Loimi Tomid shall be narbayim. Well actually where do we learn that you bring three lugin of oil for the mincha? Is it not from the tomid, the afternoon tomid? So Malahala and Schlosh's lugin, Afkan Schlosh Lugin. Well then just as over there it's three full lugging, then so to here it should be three full lugged. Um, okay, so that's, uh, that seems to answer, we've answered half our question, if I understood it correctly. The primary start of the question is, when the Mishnah says that this, kahe, again, the Kohen Godel would take one Isaron, Minchafring, worth. Three lug of oil and one commits of levona and he'd split half of the morning and half of the afternoon. The Mishnah says if you, when uh, Beis Hamidash is offering it on his on the when there's no kohen gadol because the kohen gadol died and they had not yet replaced him, then he brings a chleima, which we learned means that he brings a whole mincha offering in the morning and a whole in the afternoon, as opposed to splitting it half half. Then just we had two questions. What about the oil and the lavona? The oil and the levana are not as clear because the Posak told us to double the flour when it's being brought for a coin goddle who died, but the Possuk didn't say anything about um, about the oil and the levana. So do we compare it? We say, well once we bring in a whole one in the morning and a whole one in the afternoon, we do the same by the lavona and the oil. Or not, and at least by the oil we seem to answer the question. The oil is learnt out from the tomet, so it would be a whole portion in the afternoon. Okay, then it says, then we go on to the next point, Shelo hey, It said that with the ashes of the paraduma, there's no meila. I, once you made the bird the paraduma and had ashes um, tonight, based in that there was no meila. If you use those ashes as a ointment or something like that, as we'll see, they used to use. Then you don't transgress Me'ilah. Remember, Me'ilah is misappropriating temple property. So, Rabbi Shimon ben Nachman and Rabbi Yehya son Strictly speaking, there should be Me'ilah. and they decreed that there's no Me'ilah. Avah Tani Khatas Men Lamaychem Malim Ba. Oh, but doesn't the pastor call it a korban chattis to teach us that there is me'ilah? Oh, how can Ghazal just come along and say that there's no me'ilah on these ashes? The pastor calls the poraduma a, chattis, a a korban. And we know that there's me'ilah with the korban. So the Gemara answer no. It's specifically with the cow when it's, I guess, shechted. But once it's burnt into ashes, there's no further me'ilah. Rabbi Avoh explained, "B'rishaina ha'yumistashkin At first, they used to treat the paraduma carelessly, like disrespectfully, and they would use the the ash of the paraduma to put on their wounds and stuff. Ah, they were very flippant with it, because Rishemalo Chazal came along and said, "Okay, we make an excited that you transgress meila with it." she she nigdaru once they. Um, saw that the Jews set up a fence, Ah, they weren't so disrespectful anymore. Gozru, Shalom Yimalu, they made a decree Yimalu, that there was no me'ila worth it. So very, so what what are we saying? Again, strictly speaking, it seems that there is no me'ila. But Chazal saw that people started treating it like regular ashes. And they didn't want people to do that, so they did have some aspect of Kedusha, so they They said there's Me'ila when they saw people were behaving responsible, they reinstituted back to the initial Takana. And just interestingly, why would people. um, What's the problem with saying that there is Me'ila? So, how we learned is that there's no Me'ila, and then Chazal came and instituted that there should be Me'ila, and then they took away that institution. Why should they take once they've made a gzaira that, that there is meila on the ash of the paratuma? Just leave the gzaira. What's the problem with leaving that gzaira? That as soon as they saw people were careful, they took away the gzaira. So I think one answer could be: is you is it something that people had to use? They had to get this paratuma sprinkled on. If any cle came in contact with the mace or at home, if it and there was a mace in their house, then a whole lot of their kalim or Tumas Mace from Ohel and they have to get them purified with the sprinkling of the Paraduma. A person himself who becomes Tumas Mace tome from a corpse has to have the Paraduma sprinkled on them. So if there's an issue of Ma'illa, people are going to be hesitant to purify themselves. It's like, yeah, I know I can go to Basin and get my, go to the Besamidas and get the Poratub and sprinkle it on my knife and it will become tar, but there's Me'ila and isn't that? So it's like a little bit contrary. It's, on the one hand, you have to use it, but on the other hand, there's Me'ila. So it might cause people to not get their Kalim purified. So therefore, they took away Me'ila as soon as they saw people were behaving responsibly with it. Okay, then the last point of the mission was for Kinim. It says that... Um, what happens? I mean, and this we, this this discussion actually we saw the other day. I think it was Friday or Thursday or Friday. Um, if you find money between the kidding box, the two kidding boxes, the donation bird box and the obligatory bird box. Now remember, the problem was with the obligatory bird boxes. One is a chattis and one is a ola. And the Mishnah taught that you take that money that you find between the two boxes and you put it in the voluntary offerings. So then we had a problem. What about the woman who put the money in the obligatory... What if there was a woman? I mean, we're in doubt, so we don't know. But let's assume that there was a woman who put money in the box, in the kinin box, in the obligatory box, and now you've taken that money that you found on the floor and put it in the nadova box, she's not going to have a chattas offered for her. So we said no, and this is one of the things, Rabbi, that was taught in our Mishnah, is that no... The person who has the contract to provide the birds for the base then, so it's a as The one opinion says they must buy a new one from him. Um the communal funds, since they know that there could have been a chattis bird that needs to be offered, they have to buy another bird. Right, so that money that they found goes to the Dova, but they still have to replace the Chattis bird. And the other opinion, okay, fine, it might not be on the communal funds to replace that bird but it's at least on the contractor who has the contract to provide for the the birds for the base i mean Nash, so he would have to replace it but either way we see that you have to replace that and that's what the gemorrah just highlighting this point he says the woman whose money had fallen out of the box and you went and put it in a dover what does she get atoned with as i just explained because she had to bring a khatas and you've taken that money and put it in the other box. It's not going to be brought as a chattas. And the danger with that is she's allowed, she's not allowed to eat kodshim until she's purified by having these sacrifices brought. And she doesn't know that it wasn't brought. So I'm mm-hmm. going to read tonight based in who based in this condition. Based made a condition, part of the contract with the person who has the t- the tender to provide the birds he also has to supply a replacement for the ones that become invalid or lost. So this would be a case of a lost one. So they would go, they would tell him they'd say, look, we had to take uh, the money for one bird and put it in the other box and maybe we still need a chattas and he would have to provide an extra chattas. Hadron alok sheninsu Hadron perik sheninsu Lost peric so let's start with the mishnah of the new peric remember in the last few we've been discussing what do you do if you find money in a certain place, an animal in a certain how do you treat it, so now we're going to go into another one just before we go in is um, the spit of a zavzavan your is an avhatuma. so if you find spit on the ground most people are not zavzavidus or nidos men or women who have that, a certain type of discharge, or a woman who is a niddah, and therefore most spit is tor. However, Chazal said there is a significant number of people who are torah, and therefore any spit you find should be treated as torah, as an hatuma. The difference, just to remind us, is going to become more relevant as we go into the next Mishnah, but the difference between an hatuma and a vlaratuma is an av would be able to make other people and other Kalin tome. which means if someone stands on the spit of a Zav Zav or, or Nida they would become Tomei and they would have to go to mikvah to purify themselves or if uh, the spit landed on a clee, on a utensil it would also become Tomei and they would have to go and purify it um, um, again if it's from a regular person then it wouldn't be a problem so how so that's the general rule is that any spit is always considered tome, But it says <inaudible> However, if it's found in Yerushalayim, we treat it as tohor. Chutz Michel shuka elyon divrei <inaudible> Rabbi except for the upper market. According to this is the opinion of Rabbi Meir. So we'll discuss in the Gemara what's why that upper market is different. But basically all in Yerushalayim is an exception to the rule. You can assume, I guess, people in Yerushalayim were much more careful about Tum and Tahara because they would be going into the base of Migdash, etc. So the spit found in Yerushalayim, you can assume, is Toho. Let me read this whole phrase and then I will um explain it. So according to Rabbi he says, no, during the rest of the year, in the middle of the road, it is Tome, the spit there is Tome, in the sides of the road, it's Tahr, at the time of the festival, in the middle of the road, it's Tahor, and on the sides, it's Tome, and the reason is because the minimum are those who, the fewer, whether they were Tahr or Tome, would be moved to the side, would move to the side of the road. What's the explanation here? So Rabbi Yossi holds that, no, during the rest of the year, Yerushalayim is like any other city. There are many, many people who are Tomei. And they walk around and they go getting on with their regular life. But they would be walking in the middle of the road. People who wanted to go to the base Amidash would be careful and they would go to the sides of the roads. Therefore, any spit found in the, not necessarily that a majority of people in Yerushalayim were Tomei, but a significant minority, a significant number, were Tomei, therefore in the middle of the road it would be Tomei, and anyone on the side, the people who wanted to stay tor would be careful to stay on the side of the road, but therefore also spit on the side of the road would be considered tor. However, at the time of the festival, when you have the whole Jewish nation, a majority, a huge amount of the Jewish nation, going up to visit the base of I mean, they're all going to make sure to be tor. Because they're going, that's why you go on the festivals, you have an obligation to go to the base of Middash. So most people in Yerushalayim at that time of the year would be tahor, and they would be walking through the middle of the streets. And the people who were Tomei would go to the sides of the street to not mitame, to not transmit their Tumur to those who were already tahor. And that's what... Um, and that's why in the middle of the street, you can assume at the time of the festivals, you can assume it's Tohor. But on the sides of the street, where the few people who were in Yerushalayim were Tomei, you would have to treat any spadeir as Tomei. Okay, now, how do we treat vessels, utensils found in Yerushalayim? mani tzoyim be Yerushalayim, any vessels found in Yerushalayim? If they found on the way down to the mikveh, they were tome. And those found on the way out from the mikveh were tohor. Because they had different paths for going down into the mikveh and up to the mikveh In Yerushalayim again, they had to be much more careful with Tum and Tahara As there were many Sacrifices being eaten throughout the etc. Because remember, all kodesh kalim could be eaten throughout the Lime. So their mikvahs were built with the what's it with the in with the an entrance and an exit. So if you found a kli on the way into the mikvah, i.e. in the entrance on the path and the steps by the entrance down to the mikvah, then it would be tome because you could assume that's why it was being taken to the mikvah. And when you find it on the way out of the mikvah well then you can assume it was put in the mikvah on the on the thing so that's the um, that's the reasoning behind this interesting enough it seemed a cleave found in the whole of Yerushalayim uh, at least out, even if it's a 50-50% chance you can say, consider it tahar probably because sofeq Tumabir bishus harabim is tahar so you consider it but on the way down to the mikvah from the entrance of the mikvah till the mikvah and not yet on the path going out of the mikveh. Well, that's all, that's, as we'll see in the Gomorrah's that's almost clear. That's telling us it must be Toma, otherwise why would it be on that path? Rabbi Yossi Amar, no, Kulon Tor, Rabbi says they all Tor. Chutz minas, except, why would he hold the all Because, who says that was the key that they were taking down to the, bay, to the mikveh? Maybe he was carrying two bowls, the one for the mikveh and one for another reason. And the one that you found is in mikveh. a majority of Kalim would be tahor, and there's no xaira anywhere in Yerushalayim that any kelim are tome. misafek, out of doubt. Now the Gemara says chutz, except for the following: minasal hamagreifa vhameritza hamuyachadim l'kfaras. The basket, the hammer, so the shovel, and the hammer for the used in the graveyard. Those are different things. The basket would be used to transport bones in the graveyard. The shovel to dig graves. Maritza the hammer. That's a discussion, but I think the easy explanation was was used to crush stones um, when they were digging graves, etc. Those are designated for the graveyard, so those you assume are Tomei. Okay, new point. Um, but again, regarding things found in Islam. If you find a knife on the 14th of Nisan, a shchita knife, you can use it for shchita immediately. Why? Because everyone wants to Shech their Kovam Pesach. So if you find a knife, you can assume the owner made sure it was Toho in time to be used on the 14th for um, for the Kohen Beza. If you find it on the 13th, you have to repeat the sprinkling and you have to do Tfila. Aye, what does that mean? Um, remember, this, kli, this knife might be Tumas Mace. It might have been in contact with a corpse or it might have been in the same house as a corpse and then it's Tumas Mace. So you have to, how do you purify it? You get the Poradumas sprinkled on it. So now maybe the owner knew. When, by the fact that he brought the knife to Jerusalem you can assume that it was the 7th day from when it became Tomei. And the owner still has to sprinkle the Paratumah and take it to Mikveh. And then it will be ready on the 14th. So if you find a naf, a Shrita naf in Jerusalem you have to assume it's on the 13th. You assume it's still Tomei, so you get the water of the paraduma, sprinkled on it. You put it in the Mikveh and then you can use it on the 14th for your Korban Pesach. He says there's a one Bazel A cleaver, whether you find it on the thirteenth or the fourteenth, you still have to re um dip it in the, uh, get the w water ashes sprinkled on it and put it in the mikvah Why? Because a kupitz is not usually used for shchita. And for the korban pesach, remember you're not allowed to... A cleaver is also primarily used to break bones, not for shchita. It could be used for shchita, but it's not primarily for shchita. Therefore it's used for breaking bones. You're not allowed to break the bones of the korban pesach. So there's no rush for the owner to make sure that it's tahor for use on the 14th, on Erev Pesach. So therefore even if you find this cleaver on the 14th, you have to treat it as... You're right. He might want to use it at the festival, but he can sort it out right before the evening. He can get through the whole of the 14th. He can go um, do all the stuff he needs to do in the morning. Shecht his pass pesach in the afternoon, and only late evening go sort out the cleaver because he's not going to need it till the next day. Um, and that, so there was no hurry. So therefore, a cleaver even on even on the 14th, you can you have to assume it's still Tommy. If, you find, if the 14th falls out to be on Shabbos you can even use the the kupats immediately why is that? because you can't do sprinkle the water of the para, you can't do the hazor of the Torah on the 14th or put it in the mikvah on, the, on Shabbos on Shabbos sorry it's a you're not allowed to do these things on Shabbos therefore you would have definitely done it the day before so that he could have it for Yom Tiv. So on the 14th, if the 14th is Shabbos, you can assume so. But Tezbov, if you found it on the 15th, if you found this cleaver on the 15th, you can assume it is Torah, because the owner wanted to use it on Yom Tiv, and therefore you can shecht with it immediately. If you find it tied with a knife, you find this cleaver, this kupat, tied with a knife, you can treat it as you would treat a knife. Um, okay, let's go into the Gemara. So the first thing the Gemara is going to go into is the Shukah Elyon. Rebi Meir said that any cle found in Yerushalayim, any, sorry, any spit in Yerushalayim is tohar, except spit in the Shukah Elyon. So Rebi Avin, B'shem, Rebi Yoshua, Ben Levi, Katron, Shel, Nochrin, he says there's a, a non-Jewish laundromat there. The Shuka Elion, whatever that area, it's translated as the upper market, but that area was had was primarily for a non-Jewish laundre, a laundromat. And therefore, non-Jews, we treat all their spit as tomei, And therefore, the majority of spit in Shukah Elion was tomei. Bichanina He says, no, it was where they used to spear or kill their donkeys, their wild donkeys there. Um... So the non-Jews, in Shuka elyon again, that area, the non-Jews would, um, kill, um, would kill lots of donkeys there, and therefore there were lots of non-Jews, and tuma would come from there. And just interesting, why would they kill them? So they would kill them for lions. Why would they be killing these donkeys? Um, for their lions, for their gladiators, for their circuses and theaters. So that's what they were killing, all these donkeys. Um, just uh, by the way, once we mention these donkeys that were being killed in Shukha Elion it says they would these Oilei gollim were sunk in blood up until their knees. they came before the chachamim to see, are we torahy now? And they didn't say they have to do anything. Either were treated as tar. I don't think it means literally that they, there was so much blood going around from this up this market where they were killing all these donkeys for their for their lions for they to feed their wild animals. I don't think it means literally they were working up to their knees. But so many people basically ended up stepping through this blood or in the blood, and therefore they were worried, are they tommy? Now this is based on a question we're going to go into the discussion now, so I'll just give the background. We know that an the flesh of an availer transmits tumor. So a dead donkey would definitely, a of it would transmit tumor. We also know that parts like the bones and the sinews, etc., that are not edible, do not transmit tumor. What about the blood? Do we say the blood transmits tumor kind of like the flesh? Or do we say, no, blood is like those inedible parts, like the bones and the sinews, etc., and it does not transmit tumor. So here we see, we had all these Jews walking through blood on the, when they were going up to the festival, and the sages didn't tell them to clean, to, mati- to purify themselves. We see that it's not a concern. The blood of um, the blood of um, Nevelas must be tar, Um Let's, let's see this discussion. now. There was a Rebbe Simon in the name of Rebbe Yeshua levi He said there was an incident in the house of, there was a, a case happened in the household of Rebbe that a donkey died. And they said that the, they said the blood is Torah, it's not an Neveila. So Rebbe Lezer showed the Rebbe Simon, Ad Kama, Velo agve he asked him how much how much blood was it and he didn't respond Aye, because the blood for blood of an availer to transmit tumor even according to those opinions it has to be a reverse of blood so he's asking when Rebbe's in Rebi's household where they treated the blood of that donkey as tahor, was it because there was less than a reverse that's why it's tahar was it even more than a reverse but the blood of an availer is always tahar so that's what he's asking him. So, But he didn't answer. So, Shallah Rabbi Yeshua bin Labi, say, Ask Rabbi Yeshua bin Labi, and Omalay, Ad Revi is Tahar. Yose mi kant Tomei. No, up until the is Tahar, but more than that is Tomei. So we see that he's saying, No. According to Revi. The blood of an availer does transmit Tumma, but obviously only when there's the amount of a reverse. Um, Rabbi Lazar was actually very upset with Rabbi Simon that he didn't answer his question. And then it, it leaves it there. It doesn't say what happened because he was upset. It just mentions it was that he was upset. Now we're going to say basically the exact same thing just with another discussion. It says, Rebibi mm-hmm. was teaching over this incident that there was this donkey in house household that died and they treated the blood as tar. So Rabbi Rebizakbar Bisna had come. Rebizakbar Bisna asked him how much blood was it? Did they say it was Tahar because it was less than a Revius, or did they say even a huge amount of the blood would be Tahar because the blood of an availer doesn't transmit tumor? So, Ad Revius Tahar Yosemi Kam Tahar. Would we say that only up to Revius is Tahar, but more than that is Tameh? So, Yosemu He Rav Bibi just dismissed him. In a way, he like almost mocked him, he rejected him what's going on here? He asks you a question and you just dismiss him. you treat him horribly he says le, no begin the loy have d'ati be. He says, sorry, I'm very distracted. I wasn't able to answer the question. My was are very distracted. He says to Khanin, as Revi Khanin says, You'll see a laugh hanging before you. That's someone who has to bar wheat per year. He doesn't have his own farm to make wheat, etc. He always has to bar wheat. And he bars wheat for a year. He has to make sure that he has, he's got a stress. Will he have enough money for wheat? And you will fear day and night. This is someone who buys flour from the merchants. I a, I think it's about for a few weeks or for a week. But he, again, it's stressful. I've got enough for this month, but will I make it through next month? Living, he's living paycheck to paycheck. When the apostle says, and don't trust, someone he won't even believe he's alive. He won't be able to trust he's alive. This is someone who buys from a baker says because he has to make every, he's in such a difficult financial situation. He has to buy bread he goes uses the money he earns that day to go buy bread. Very, very stressful. Will he have enough money for food tomorrow? Says, <laughs> he says says I'm someone who's reliant on a baker. He says so this reason that I dismissed your question and I wasn't focusing on you wasn't because I was malicious and I'm upset with you or anything. I'm just very, very distracted. I've got all these financial stresses which are Freaking out and distracting me. She says, "Ma' I kadon. So, what's the halacha? How do we treat this blood of an avela? Do we say that it is Tome, transmits Toma, but only from a Rebeus onwards? Or do we say it never ever transmits Toma? She says, Hey, Yeshua ben Pertura, I'll she tar. ben Pertura said that it's tar. Now, but wait, there's another way of understanding this statement. Are you telling me that it's tar, I oh, it doesn't make other food susceptible to Tuma, but it, it in itself can make things Tuma? And oh, we know there's seven liquids that can make other food or items susceptible to Tuma. One of those is Dam, not Dam of novela. But the actual Dam of navela. So it can't make something susceptible to tumor, but maybe it can transmit tumor. It says, no, it says, well, I've got an answer to your question. It says the blood of a sheret transmits tumor like its flesh. And it doesn't make things susceptible to tumor. And there's nothing similar to it. Aye, we see that only dama transmits tumor like flesh. Dum the vela does not transmit tumor like flesh. He says no that's not a good answer he says he says no this when we said that there's nothing similar to the sherets is the amount that transmits tumor I, the blood of a sherets even a what's a barley grain or a lentil a that's a lentil sized blood can transmit tumor because it's like the flesh of a sheritz that even a lentil size can transmit tumor however do we find other bloods that transmit tumor like flesh yes an avela so that's we've got two ways of looking at this again we're still a bit stuck we've answered all the proofs and the questions we've had but we haven't resolved the issue we haven't proven it conclusively but we haven't resolved it again do we say that the blood of a sheritz transmits tumor but only in a reverse or do we say that the blood of a, sh- a Neveila, sorry, blood of a Neveila, never ever transmits to him? Rabbi Yossi says it's a machloikes Amorayim. Chad Omer Tomei v'chad Omer Tarr. One said it transmits to him, and one says it, no, it does not. Manda Omer Tomei, Karebi Yehuda, Manda Omer Tarr, Karebi Yashua ben Patira. The one who says it's Tomei, is like Rabbi Yehuda. We mentioned because Rabbi Yehuda elsewhere testifies in Edos. I think he testifies, says the a machloikes Beishama Beisilol be, Shammai, Hillel say it's Tomei, and Rabbi Yehuda is like Hillel that it's Tomei. And the other one is like Rabbi Yoshua ben Potira, the simple way of understanding this um, Machloikes is that um, Rabbi Yoshua ben Potira said when Rabbi's mule died and they said the blood is tahor, it was tohor in all circumstances. It makes much more sense to say that Ben Yushua ben Patir is not saying it's tahor because it's less than Revi's. He's saying it's tahor because Rabbi's household held that it was Tahr. the man the the But Rabbi Yehuda actually makes more sense. Sorry, but yeus. I don't know if that's correct, the Rabbi Yehuda, Morayna, because Rabbi Yehuda was the poisek of Rebby's household so you must actually say when he said tome he meant um tome completely yeah so it seems, I don't know exactly at what point in history they resolved this machlokas, but we see that it, it, it did stretch because we have Rebbe's household, they treated it as tomei, according to Rebbe Huda, we just learned. In the times of the Beis Amidash, at some point when there was that Shuka Elyon and there was so much donkey's blood, they still treated it as tohor. So it was still a machlokas tanaim and I'm not sure when they resolved it. Okay, then we mentioned kolaroik all spit found is generally tomei. But wait, didn't Rabbi Avu in the name of Rabbi Oisi Ben Hanine say that they did not make a decree against all the spit in Yerushalayim? You're right, there is a gzairah that spit is viewed as tome, as an avatum in case it came from a a nidah, or I guess non-Jew, it's considered tome. But in Yerushalayim they didn't make that gzairah, it says... And it makes sense not to make that Zairi because it will cause so much trouble. Because remember, if it's really tohar and someone accidentally carrying their korban that they're going home to eat stands on it, they become tome and their korban becomes tome and you end up destroying korban unnecessarily. So it makes sense that they wouldn't make the in your He <laughs> Sorry, so this is specifically regarding the Shara Elyon because Rebbe Meir said the whole of Yerushalayim is Tahr. Oh, but you said Shara Elyon is Tomei. says, yeah, Shara Elion is different because... Sorry, not Shara Elion, Shuka Elion, The market, the upper marketplace is different because there were non-Jews who worked there. Non-Jews are Tomei. Oh, but how can we explain according to the other opinion, Rabbi Yossi, that the, during most of the year, the Tomei people would walk in the middle of the road, and the torah people would walk on the side. Just switching the gears, those who were Tomei would just walk normally in the middle of the road, and those who wanted to stay Tore were like, no, no, careful, careful, I'm trying to be Tore, I'm trying to be Tore, so that they didn't bump into them. At the time of the festival, again, now where every Jew is coming up to go to the temple, the Torah, people would walk in the middle, and the Tameim would have to walk on the side of the road, or out of respect, they'd walk on the side of the road, the Torah people would just walk normally, and those who were Tamayim would say, be careful, be careful, I'm Tamayim, don't touch me. So that's... Um That's the. That's just a little bit of an elaboration of Rebiosi's opinion. Then we said kali, my name Soim. Um, all kalim found. So we said, if they found generally Kalim found in Yerushalayim or Tohar, and if they are found on the way down to the mikvah they Tomme, according to Rebbe Meir, but on the way out there would be Tahor. And Rebbe Yossi says, no, they're always Tahor, except for those specific types that are used in the grave graveyard. Says, he says, Rabbi Avur Avu said the name of Rebbe well, we Yochanan, but didn't Rebbe Avur say the name of Rebbe that there's no Gezerah against Kalim in Yerushalayim, I, all Kalim in Yerushalayim are v- viewed as Tahor. We don't make the Gezerah that we view Kalim as Tome in Yerushalayim. So why are these kalim on the way down to the mikveh considered toy? so he says, Since they found on the way into down, onto the steps going down into the mikveh, it proves that they tomah. Otherwise, why would they be found on those steps? Now we're just going back. We mentioned that um, except for the few the things used in the graveyard, and one of them was the Merita, we translated as the hammer. Says Abba Sholhoyo Khirosansiporin Rebi Abashol used to call that Maritza, that hammer a nail. Says, Mandah Omarzipoirin Shahoyo Domilitsiporin. He called it a nail because it was this hammer had a very pointy head, kind of like a nail. Mandar omaritza, the one who called it a maritza, which literally comes to the language of crash. Shemritza is a the forest it would crush the stones for the graveyard. Now our Mishnah said that if you find a kupit tied to the naf so just as on the 14th of nisan the naf is tor the cup it's tied to it is tor tony but we learned in a brisa hasaking law hareizu Kamoisa, the knife tied to the kupit is treated like the kupit so wait what's going on here? We have our Mishnah says you treat you have a kupits a cleaver and a knife tied together, which separately on the fourteenth of Nisan, the knife is treated as Tahor and the Kupits as tomei But if they tried together, the Mishnah says you treat the kupits like the knife. The priest says you treat the knife like the kupits, that is tomato. So what which one is it? So the, so Rab Khaim explains. He says, No. The way that they would tie it you could tell which was the main one on the bundle. Was the naf the main one and the cup is just attached to it? Or was the cup It's the main item of that uh, thing tied together? So you look at the way it's tied and you go after which one is the main one. Okay, let's do the next Mishnah. Halacha obeys of this Perak, The second last Mishnah. or third last Mishnah. It says of the Masechta. Man is in parochasheh if the paroches, let's just learn this as the cloth hanging between the sanctuary and the, the, the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKtoshim, the, the cloth hanging between the area, the Heichal, in the Heichal, where, you know, the menorah and the Shulchan, etc. were. There was a cloth hanging separating it between the Kodesh HaKodesh and the Holy of Holies, where the Iron Kodesh was. So this, not cloth, curtain, sorry, curtain. So this curtain, if it became Tomei from a Vlad Hatuma. Now Vlad Hatuma is generally what we would call at least a Rishon. And generally a Rishon cannot make Kalim tome. cannot make Atoms Tomei. It can only make food tome. So what's happening here, the that we're treating it that it says so there's a xaira that liquids can make kalin tome and the reason is because we know there's certain liquids that like spit we saw in the previous mission spit can be an avatuma so and there are other liquids that can also be an avatuma so they said all liquids Durabonin would make things Tomei. But therefore, but it's not a real Tomei, it's only Durabonin. Therefore, we don't treat the curtain as properly Tomei that you have to take it outside of the Temple Mount. If it was properly Tomei, you're not allowed it in the Beis Amigdash complex. You have to take it outside of Temple Mount. So it's treated Matvilin or Sobifnim. You could tovel it in the Mikveh in the Beis Amigdash. Or Machnisin or And you don't have to wait for nightfall. Remember, most things that become Tomei only become, you put them in the mikvah, and even if they've been in mikvah early in the morning, whatever time of day you put it in the mikvah, it only becomes properly Torah at You don't have to wait. Again, that's all these two dinim, that you don't have to take it outside the base of Middash, you can matire it in the mikvah in the Base HaMingdash, and also you don't have to wait for Hared Shemesh, for sunset. That's all to do with this law, because it's only to Rabbon and really a Vlada let's say a person who touched a Sheretz, or a key that touched a Sheretz, Becomes Tome. That can't make other people a Kalim Tome. But if it's liquid, then it can. But only drop on it. Okay. However, if it becomes Tome from an Adha Tome, you have to take it outside of the Temple Mount. And one um, you, know, you, take, you have to take it outside. And once it's been in mikveh, then you can take it to the chel, That was an area between the chotzer and a fence that they had. Because you need to wait till sunset before you bring it back in. So if it became properly tomeh, again, tome things are not allowed in the temples. You have to take it all the way out. At least, I'm not clear here, is it onto Temple Mount or even outside of Temple Mount? But then you could, and then once it's been a mikveh, you could put it in the chel, but you can't go further in. Because again, you need to wait for HaRev Shemesh. If it was a new one, If it was a new curtain that they had just made, then they would hang it on the roof of the colonnade where everyone all over Yerushalayim would be able to see it and see how beautiful they made it. Now we're just going to discuss some of the aspects of it. Rabbi Shimon over Mishum Rabbi Shimon ben Skan. Rabbi Shimon Gamo says the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Askan. Paroichez Uvye Tefach. It was a Tefach thick, this curtain. Al shirim Veshtayim Nimim Nereges. And it was woven with 72 heddles. Al Kol Nimbo Vnimach of Dalet Each thread was made of 24 strands mem It was tw- forty amos long and twenty amos wide. So about what's that about? Twenty ten by twenty meters. It cost eight hundred and twenty thousand gold to make, or some say it was made from eight hundred and twenty thousand threads. Huge number. and they would make two every year. I every year they would. Make two curtains, one for the the curtain that they hung between the Kodesh HaKadoshim and the sanctuary. They hung two curtains, so they would replace both those curtains twice a year. V'shalash mez kohanim matvilen osor. It took three hundred kohanim to tovel it to put it in the mikveh. Okay, now we have going to back the source that the threads. We're now just going to discuss the source of the that the threads were made from. 20, remember we said each thread was made from 24 strands. We're now going to go in the source of that and then we're going to bring different opinions was of how many strands it was. al just said 24, so that's what we start with. If Omar, if the pasuk could have said Chut, that would be Echot, one strand. Kaful, if it would have said Kaful that would be two strands. Shazur, if it would have just said Shazur, that would be three strands. Mishzar, but the pasuk says um, you must make it Mishzar Lishisha. That means six strands. Now our boat was made of four materials so each of those materials was six strands mekano isram for Arba. we have 24 I'll just read the passage quickly it says what well, is some masakhla lepesakha oil you would make a screen for the beginning of the tent khailes fargumon with salashani you would make it out of khailes blue wool dark blue argumon purple dark wool talashani red dark wool and shesh's linen Mosh zor twant together Maase um, roy came the work of a weaver of of an embroiderer, so says, that's what he it says. It's made of these four materials: and And which tells us so that's four, and Mojzor tells us that, that must be twenty-four. Tani, there's a breitzer which says No, each thread was actually thirty-two strands. would have said I would have said one if it would have said kofel Shazul la arba, mosh but since the post says it must be mosh twant in the special way, lishmona, it must be eight. Arba now eight. So each thread is made of eight strands and arba, and there are four types of threads. As you said, the v'sheish, Mikanhu Tlisin Tartin Tilsin T We see thirty-two. Tana, there's another brace which says Arba ushmona. Each thread was made out of forty-eight strands. Why? Il omar chut if it would have said chut, that would be one. if it would have said kofful, it would have been Lishnaim. if it would have used the word clear, it would mean three. Shosh If it would have used the word shazur, I would have known it had to be six strands. Moshzar, but what word does it use? It uses moshzar. So that tells me it must be must be twelve strands. Arba'ah, and we know that there are four of materials, mekanu arbin so we see 48 strings. Okay, so that's the, that's the source of how many strands we in each thread to make this special curtain. It says, One says it must be the work of an embroiderer, and one says it must be the work of a designer. Now, what's the difference between or well thought out? So what's the difference? He says Maser Roykem Partsuf echod mashef sneipart. What it means is Maser means you can see the image on one side, and Maser Chhoy means you can see it. Oh Shnei Partsuf the two faces. So what's one face and two faces? So Ribbur Ribbina Khemia, Khar Omar, one says it's a machloy's Ribbon Khimaya, one says, Maser Roy Kem Arimi Kanva Arimi Kam, Mase Hhoisov, Arimi Kanva Chalakmi Khan. The one opinion says, when well, it says roikem, there's an uh, uh, the when you embroider, remember the threads generally go all the way through, so you could see the image on both sides. It was still very skilled, because often if you look at a tapestry, from the back it, it's nothing. But here, maser Roikam, you could see it on both sides. But maser Hoishe means it was on one side, but it was blank on the other side. Now that takes a huge amount of skill. Because how are you going to embroider a, a picture of a lion or a picture of a kruvin on this side of the curtain and not see anything on the other side? So that was a huge skill. The V'charonah and the other one explains it slightly differently. He says, No, V'cholat means there was a lion on one side and it was blank on the other side. And like I said, that amazing skill to make it not go all the way, the threads go all the way through. That they were able to weave it, that they had different pictures on either side of this curtain. So that was the huge skill. Then it says, It was made with, what's it? 820,000. I said it cost 820,000. And now the pshat is not rivua as in... Um, it it was ma- it was made by 82 maidens took to to sew it but either way Rabbi Yitzhak, Babizna, B'Shem, Shmuel, kuzma. it's an exaggeration Tamantenia and we also learned up there pamaim hoyo kur sometimes the pile of ash on the mizbeach was 300 kur I, a huge amount of ash on the Mizbath, and Rabbi Brevi, Boon, B'Shem, Mishmul, guzman's an exaggeration. I, when Chazal come along and say that this curtain cost 820,000 gold coins, or that they say that it took 300 kohanim to tovel it, that is an exaggeration. Um, interestingly enough, yeah, we generally find that Chazal sometimes, when they wanted to say a huge amount, they mean, exaggeration. And I'm going to extend that and say when we read in the previous Mishnah that they were wading through this donkey blood to get up to the temple. I don't think it means literally there was that much blood. It means that there was a lot of blood, so there would be a lot of blood in the streets and the gutters, etc. And when people would walk around, they'd end up going in that blood, but not literally knee deep. But either way, we see that they used um, a guzma. Okay, and we'll leave it there for today and we'll do the last stuff tomorrow.